Welcome back to Dog Backwards, where we look at life, theology, and culture from another angle. We're back for part two of my conversation with a Mormon, or as they like to be called now, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's a real mouthful. Uh, my friend Skyler is back, who is active in the church, and we discuss the differences between how we view Jesus and how they do and how we view God, and uh, real interesting, and we get really into the specifics about how we differ in our view of God. And can a different view of God be so different that that Jesus can no longer save you? Let's jump right in. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dog Backwards. I have with me again my friend Skyler. Skyler, you might remember, was the Latter Day Saint, uh, the member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, who was on was that a month ago? Yeah, it was about that. We like you so much. We wanted to have you back on as soon as possible, and it also happened to be one of the most popular uh, podcasts that we did. And I show that that just shows that people are interested in these kind of conversations. And I've got some good feedback from LDS saying, hey, that was nicely done. And then I had some tell me that I was the devil. <laughs> so <laughs> I got I got a good mixture of responses. I don't know. Do you ever get uh, I don't know, like when I go on an atheist podcast, I usually hear from atheists who like track me down. Did you hear from any Christians from this, you know, it's not like we have a huge reach, but I didn't know if anybody contacted you. Um, not from this one. I have, I have received more or less hate mail from Christians in the past on my YouTube channel, but not specifically from this one. I did have, uh, one Orthodox Christian, um, reach out on an old video, but I don't know if he found me because of listening to this or if it was just, um, coincidental that he reached out like a similar similar time frame now are you but, still doing stuff on your youtube channel um not at the moment i i, I i'm not a, averse to it but i just i'm not doing anything right now and um might 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 pick it back up but i'll probably i'll probably start it under a new a new moniker as you know that we're we're getting away from the the moniker Mormon and my moniker oh, was yes. Mormon Mormon fan. So oh, man, they messed you up too, man. It messed up everything. 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 But yeah. I, I think I got I think I got Jesus Lives, so that would be a good one. So Well, speaking of Jesus Lives, I kinda wanted that to be the focus of our conversation today. We talked about salvation and the temple and um, maybe how we see things a little bit differently. Some of the ground we covered was talking about, was it a restoration because of what we saw the temple and the things that it served for in the Old Testament? Um, we don't see necessarily the LDS church doing that now. And so there's just a lot of different areas where we might disagree on that. When it comes yeah. to Jesus, in okay. the same, what people don't realize sometimes is that Mormons speak Christianese just like we do, Right. So yeah. we use Caleb. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Okay. I have a I have a request. Okay. Could we start with a prayer? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Would you mind doing that? I'd be glad to. Cool. Heavenly Father, we are not bringing a spirit of contention to these conversations. Lord, both of us are interested in truth, and we want to know you better. 
So, God, we just ask that you would be in the midst of this, that your spirit would lead and guide. And, Father, that we would not be allowed to say things about you that are not true. So, Lord, we just love you, and we thank you for all that you do. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Uh, speaking about Jesus, we, we both use that language. We talk about Heavenly Father. We talk about the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that seems obvious from my side, and I don't know how you feel about it, and I would like to hear from you. Do you think that the Jesus that we worship, that, that Caleb worships, is a different Jesus than the one you worship? I do not. Do you think Joseph Smith thought that? Do I think that Joseph Smith thought that you worshipped a different Jesus? Um, my first blush says no, but that you asked the question makes me think that there was probably some sort of obscure quote where he said something one time that says that he thought that, but I, I don't um, think it's <laughs> obscure. I think it's the first vision where he says, uh, you know, he's praying about which churches to join. And he said that all their creeds are an abomination and all their teachers are corrupt. That was the whole reason he needed to restore it. There was no true church anymore. And yeah. it said that all their creeds are corrupt. Well, I believe the same thing as those creeds that he was reading in his time. You know, they believed in the Apostle well, Creed. I believe in that as well. Sure. I guess the, the clarification, the, the short clarification that I would make is if if I was talking to your mother, if I was talking to your wife, and if I was talking to the bully from sixth grade that picked on you, and if I was talking to the, the kid you picked on in high school— um, I might get a different description of you from each one of those people and might be drastically different to the point where I would think that it wasn't even the same person. Um, but that doesn't mean that they weren't all referencing you. And that's, that's the way that I, when you, when you say, do we worship the same Jesus? Um, I believe that there is only one Jesus Christ. And while many people see him or hear him or feel him or interpret the scriptures differently. Um, it's still the same being, um, just as the same way that all those different people might describe you differently. You're still the same person, but they have a different perspective on who you are. But there would be a line like, you know, my wife and my mother might describe me slightly differently, but if someone was to ask who's Skyler and I said, well, he's a lawyer in Nantucket. That's far enough away from being true that it would be obvious that I'm not actually talking about you. It had to be a different Skyler I would have in mind. Correct. That's a fair assumption. Right, fair. So there could I don't be think that, uh, keep going. Go ahead. No, I mean just saying so that there could be this line where you say, well, even if it seems like they might be describing somebody totally different because they're using the name Caleb or something, you know, they're still talking about you. But I would say, well, if they're that far off, either A, they don't know me well enough to describe me at all, or they're describing somebody else. Yeah, and I guess it's important to, to clarify. I mean, you, you spoke about the first vision. I, I would doubt that 
many of the listeners know what that is. And um, in short, uh, Joseph Smith was looking for a church to join in the early 1800s in New York. And he was studying the Bible and trying to find out which one taught the truth, but he didn't know where to go. And then he read in the book of James, first chapter, fifth verse, where it said, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And so he decided to go ask God to, in prayer um, which church he should join. And subsequently, he received what is now known as the first vision. And in his own words, he said, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. When the light rested upon me, I beheld two personages whose brightness and glory defy all description, standing above me in the air. One of them spake unto me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, Joseph, this is my beloved son, hear him. Um, that's, the, that's the canonized version of, of the first vision that, that, um, that we use. There's multiple versions um, that he told at different points in his life. But that's the one where we basically identify that God the Father, his son Jesus Christ, we're two separate beings, and that was an important revelation, um, a point clarification for this dispensation that God and Jesus Christ are, in fact, two separate personages in body and spirit, while they are the same in purpose. Okay, and that's great. So in this first vision, and I'm glad you mentioned that there's several different versions. There's the 1832 uh, 1835, there's two then, and then there's like an 1838, which is the adopted official version. And right. they they vary greatly. Sometimes there's no pillar of fire. Sometimes it's just Jesus. Sometimes um, there's one being. Sometimes there's this huge crowd. Uh, there's a host of angels there. And, and so for everything to kind of rely upon that, it seems like we say, well, he saw Jesus and God as two separate beings. Well, in one of them he did, right? But then in the other ones, they vary. What account or what explanation might you have for why they vary so much? Yeah, and I guess in my, I mean, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly why they vary so much. But in my interpretation, there were, you know, he was speaking to different people, different groups, and that's where some of the accounts came from. So similar to that same analogy that I gave before where you have the person that, you know, your mom, your wife, uh, your enemy, if you, if you were asking um, each one of those people about you, their accounts may be a little bit different. And I don't know if it's because he was sheepish or shy or, you know, didn't want to offend people. But in, in my interpretation, he, he kind of told the story or told the account um, based on the audience's ability to receive. So if, if they were going to stone him and murder him, you know, for saying that Jesus and God were two separate personages, then maybe he would have held back on that aspect a little bit because there was a lot of contention and still is a lot of contention around that point. Um, but most of the, most of the accounts, and you can go to the church history library here in downtown Salt Lake city and, and, um, they show you all the different accounts and you can, you can look at them all. And it's, 
um, it's very interesting. I think there's, um, I think there's important things to be learned from each of them. Um, really something that I really like with, with most of the accounts is how there's, he calls it a pillar of, of light in, in the, in the one that we use, um, the primary version. But when he talks about, when he talks about the, calls it kind of like a fire in the other versions and to the point where he thought that he was going to be like burnt up because it was so bright and so like glorious. And he was like, you know, so taken back. And it kind of, to me was, you know, reminiscent of maybe Abraham and the burning bush or, or similar um, accounts where you, you hear of, of God speaking and it's just like this, this fire. And um, I don't, I don't know exactly why that happens or, or, um, you know, what causes, um, causes that, but it, it definitely strikes me as interesting and, and somewhat spiritual. So there's, there's really interesting. I, I forget the man's name, but I literally looked it up this week to verify if what I heard was true or not, that seven years before Joseph Smith ever claimed to receive a vision, there was a man claiming he had received a vision from God, very similar and it's striking in how similar it is. It talks about the pillar of light, uh, feeling as though he's going to be born, uh, burnt up. Uh, it, in some places, it looks as though, like this pamphlet circulated in the areas that Joseph Smith lived, and we have copies of it, and it seems like he took bits and pieces from this other person's vision and then started saying, oh, I had a first vision too, and it was just like this. Have you ever heard that before? Um, vaguely, I remember looking into it like a while back and kind of coming to a, an easy out, if you will, being like, oh yeah, that's, I mean, it's an interesting thing, but it's pretty unlikely that they're related. I understand. I mean, it, it's easy for us to kind of look back in history and be like, oh yeah, this is where this came from, or this is where that came from. But like when you, re I just remember diving into it a little bit further and being like, mm, yeah, probably but I, uh, I wouldn't mind looking into it again. Well, I, you know, for me, that's a side point because it's not foundational. I think it is one of the pieces that builds this big puzzle in my mind. So I would rather talk about things that are a little bit more, less hearsay and things we can actually look at and read and understand instead of just speculating. And you mentioned that yeah. Joseph said that Jesus and God are separate beings different the way historically Christians might understand it the way my church teaches in the Trinity is that correct yeah um, so where most I mean you can correct me if I'm wrong but most mainline Christians believe that God Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are one um, yet they are separate and it's in, in my summation is a, is a confusing a confusing topic or a confusing way of looking at God. Um, my, the best way that I, you know, can envision that they are separate is when Jesus Christ was baptized and his um, father speaks from heaven and the Holy ghost descends as gently as a dove. And so that, that, that simple scripture in the Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ is separate from his father. I mean, his father says that he is well pleased and in my interpretation of that, you know, it's like if Jesus Christ and God 
and the Holy Ghost are the same being, then that would be like God saying that he's pleased with himself. And that seems kind of backwards. And I, it doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me. And so that God is separate from Jesus Christ and that he sent his only begotten son to die for us, meaning that he's like literally his first spirit child that um, he designated as the savior of the world and allowed him to come down and to atone for the sins of, of man and then the meridian of time. Um, that all makes a lot of sense to me. And that, and that the Holy spirit, the Holy ghost um, is a personage just like God, the father and his son, Jesus Christ, but currently only has a spirit. And in Mormon theology, eventually the Holy spirit will receive his own body, um, like Jesus Christ did. Um, and, and we have, and which is, I think is also a, a difference in theology. Um, but similar to the Trinity, all perfectly one in purpose and action and devotion and wouldn't do anything contrary to the other, you know? So they are one, they are one in that, um, that essence but they are not one in physical being and this is where we really come to a fork in the road when you talk about jesus baptism we look at that as a beautiful example of the trinity where you have all three there at the same time the difficulty comes in i think for mormonism is the Bible over and over again says that there is only one God. There's just one God. He says, I don't know of any other gods in Deuteronomy. Um, he says that there will be no God formed before me nor after me, that I am it. I am the one God. And yeah. so we've always had, the Jews have a monotheistic faith. Christians have a monotheistic faith. And it seems that you're saying, hey, this is difficult. What makes sense is we have one God, God the Father, another God, Jesus Christ, and then another God, the Holy Spirit. Is that correct? Mm, not exactly. There is only one God who is God the Father, um, Jesus Christ. So the best way that I can say is we worship God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Ghost. So we are only worshiping God. We don't worship Jesus. We don't worship the Holy Ghost. We worship God, but we come to God through Jesus. And, and essentially the Holy Ghost is, is, a, is also a power that helps us to, to get there. Okay, these, these are kind of the things that I just don't think scriptures can support these ideas. I, it seems as though these are inventions of Joseph Smith. Now, I know the Trinity is hard for some people to understand, and oftentimes when I talk with Latter-day Saints, they think Christians believe in modalism, which is like sometimes he's God, and then he puts on a different mask, sometimes he's um, Jesus, and then sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. But Christians have never believed this. We've rejected that as heresy from day one. What we would say is there is one God who is in three equal persons. And the way I tend to explain it is, did, you know you know who Garfield is, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. The Garfield, the cat. So when I was growing up, lasagna, lasagna, and, and uh, Odie, his dog. When I was growing up, the Sunday morning comic strips were my favorite thing, and you would have the comic strip of like three panels, and it told some funny story about Garfield. Now imagine that's in a 2D world. Imagine I exist outside the 2D world, and I could interact with that world. And if I was to take my pen, I have a pen here in my hand, and I was to put it into that 2D world, if I put the tip of that pen in, all they're going to see is this small round ball, right? Like that's all they can see. Then if I was to pull it away, they like, oh man, this small round ball just appeared out of nowhere, then disappeared. And then if I took my pen and I laid it sideways, they would see a long line, right? Because they live in a 2D world and it's a 3D object. Then if I did the same thing one last time and I turn it on the end and I put the other end, they would see now a larger circle appear. Now, they live in a two-dimensional world. They have no concept of three dimensions. And so you can imagine me trying to tell them, hey, that little ball, that little point that you saw, that big long line and the larger ball are all actually the exact same thing. They would say I'm nuts. One plus one plus one is three. And I would say, well, that's just because you have a limited perspective. The only reason we affirm the Trinity is because it is the best explanation for what Scripture teaches. I I can make a case for that, but before we get into that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, a couple things. It's interesting that you brought up that analogy, because I was actually going to use that analogy as to why I think that, um, why I think that there's often fire and this is Skyler talking this is this isn't an official church doctrine this is really just my opinion and so maybe I shouldn't be saying it but one of the things that I've thought about with with that Garfield analogy in the 2D world um have you ever seen oh it's 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 leaving my mind right now but uh what's this interstellar isn't that the one where they go to the yeah, black hole yes uh-huh. and so I kind of uh after watching interstellar I kind of envisioned God as being a fourth dimensional being where, you know, he is irrespective of time and space. And so he can be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. And I was kind of wondering what that would look like if a, you know, if you did put that pin down in Garfield's world and likely the light from our world would be, would still be emanating on that pin into Garfield's world. And so it would kind of look like a reflection of our world. And so I, just from that analogy, I kind of wondered if, Perhaps that's the reason why it's always described as like a burning or a light is because the the light from that dimension is effectively coming into our world and, and making it look like it's on fire. Well, but that's just yeah, no, my speculation. I, I, um, like, I like that line of thought. Um, I find that kind of stuff interesting as well. We know that there is a spiritual dimension around us. Scripture says that we entertain angels, that um, they can appear and disappear that there's a spiritual plane around us. So uh, I, I don't think, I think if you add one more dimension, which the scripture says there is, there is a supernatural spiritual dimension, then the Trinity makes very, it's not as confusing as people often try to give it credit for or use layman's math, be like, see, it doesn't work, it's contradictory. What, <laughs> what yeah, I, and, and that, I was going to say, with all like, and I, and I recognize that the Trinity is an incredibly sacred and um, you know, of the most sacred aspects of Christianity. And so I never want to belittle it or, or degrade it in any way. 
But when I hear that explanation of, of we just can't know, um, it feels like a cop-out to me. It feels like it does. I mean, it, it, to me, it feels like if the Trinity was a real concept and that was the word that it was supposed to be called, that it would be found in the Bible, you know, and that God would have been like, yes, we are the Trinity and this is the Trinity. But I feel like, and in the way that I read the Bible, I understand completely when, when people see and they say, that, oh, look, here's, here's Alpha Omega. This is where, this is why God is one. This is where God in the Old Testament, New Testament. Um, I understand, I understand the, the predicament that causes the Trinity um, to, to be a, uh, an attractive notion. Um, but we, in general, when, when we see someone who's talking about God is referring to God, the father, if they're talking about Jehovah in the old Testament times, it's usually or Lord. That's usually referring to the son or Jesus Christ. Um, and they are, they are in harmony. So it's not, you know, it's not robbery to, to call them as one because they are one in purpose. Um, and, and so even like mistaking Jesus Christ for God or something like that, like it would be, uh, I don't think that God is offended. It's, it's, he is the spitting image of his father. Um, he's doing his father's will. He's doing his father's work and everything that he is about is, is for his father. You say that Jesus is Yahweh in the old Testament. Whenever we, we see Yahweh, that's talking about Jesus, right? Yeah. Okay. There's a, there's an issue there. There's, there's a huge one. Um, because things like Isaiah 45, five, I am Yahweh and there is none else. There is no God beside me. So you have this thing that where you say, well, Jesus is pointing us how to worship heavenly father. Well, in the old Testament, Yahweh is receiving all the worship. In fact, he demands worship because he is the perfect, good, holy being. And there's no one more holy than him. In 1 Kings, when all the people saw this, it says they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, Yahweh, He is Elohim. He is God. Yahweh is Elohim. It says right after. So it repeats it twice to let people know, Hey guys, Yahweh, He is the Elohim. He is one. And Mormonism separates Elohim and Yahweh and say, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't Elohim what you would consider Heavenly Father? Yeah. Exactly. And so, again, um, we most of the things that Jesus Christ did, um, we, we would affirm that Jesus Christ, um, under the direction of God the Father, created this earth. And so most of the things that you see him doing in the Old Testament is, is done because his father asked him. And that's the way that we would interpret that or, or see that, and that they are still one in purpose and every other way, just not physical being. Okay, I'm, I'm trying is, to. I'm is trying that, to. Well, I, is that is that an issue for? I mean, because does the Trinity even call them one in physical being? We would say they're one being in three persons. Now, the Trinity doesn't need to be in the Bible like the word Trinity. There's lots of words that we use that aren't in the Bible, right? And so it's just a word that we've used 
to describe what Scripture has always taught. And it's tri-unity, right? Just three in unity. The Bible couldn't be more clear that there is only one God. In fact, Psalms 96.5 says, For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Um, it says, So all these other gods are idols. They're not real gods. There's only one who made everything. The Jewish people begin their prayer with the Shema, which is, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. We know the Bible says there is no God formed before or after, and that God is from everlasting to everlasting. It wasn't until Joseph Smith came along that all of a sudden this idea that there are three different gods went from monotheism to polytheism. And Joseph Smith, uh, it's the King Follett Discourse, and sometimes I can quote it, sometimes I can't, but he says, um, you've imagined and supposed that God was God from all eternity. I will take away that veil so that you can see that God was once a man like us, and we must learn to become a God like he is. So, so this isn't, for me, oh, they kind of got Jesus, they got a few things wrong. This is a different God with a different Jesus. And when he says the veil that I have to take away so that I can see, the veil he's talking about is God's testimony about himself. And so if God says, I'm everlasting to everlasting, someone came along and says, oh no, he's not that, he's this. Should I believe the testimony of Joseph Smith or should I believe the testimony of God's own revelation? It's a good question. Obviously, if the revelation that you're interpreting is true and accurate, you should believe in God before you believe in any man. No doubt about it. Um, But I guess my admonition my challenge is isn't to trust in your own wisdom similar to um the way that you interpret you know the the trinity to not trust in your own thoughts about it but to to reach out and to ask god and to say god is this true because you know in acts 7 55 but he being full of the holy ghost looked up steadfastly to heaven and saw the glory of god and jesus standing on the right hand of god and behold, and said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And so there's a lot of, I mean, it's not just that Joseph Smith just made this up out of, out of thin air. It's, it, it is biblically supported that Jesus was standing on the right hand of God, meaning that they are physically separate. And so well, but, um, there's definitely different interpretations and different ways of, looking at that obviously because that's we have two different thoughts there um but again i would like to reiterate that we are monotheistic we do worship god the father and while people may have worshiped jesus christ or yahweh in the old testament in my opinion that worship was kind of passed along to god the father well jesus in the new testament receives worship John twenty twenty eight. then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas' response was, my Lord and my God. So for Thomas, his God was Jesus. And this is why scripture says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. 
Now, I don't think the New Testament writers forgot that God was invisible, that he, as the Old Testament says, he is not a man, he is a spirit, that he is this unseeable thing, says that no one has seen God and lived, but then yet there will be times that Moses talks face to face. And that's because we know there's one God, he's immaterial being, he's not made of matter, Jesus is the physical representation of him in the Old and New Testament. I would even say that when Adam and Eve are walking in the garden with God, they're walking with pre-Jesus Jesus, Jesus, right? We we see him in the Old Testament all the time. Uh, But there's always a difference between, uh, oftentimes he'll be called the angel of God as being the one who led people out of uh, Exodus by his own presence. And Jude tells us that in the New Testament. Oh, by the way, that was Jesus, right? So we have Jesus who temporarily lets go of part of his, well, he remains fully God, but it, he says he takes on the nature of a servant. And scripture tells us that while being in the very nature God, right? Verse 5, uh, it's Philippians 2, um, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. So he has a God nature. Do not consider equality with God something to be used to its own advantage. Uh, I think the King James might say grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. So we see a different nature between who God is and who we are. It says, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself. So then we see that God exalts him to the highest place. Well, who is the highest place reserved for? Only God receives worship. Only God receives praise. But... Jesus says that he's going to return to the same glory that he had with God before the beginning of the universe. But the Old Testament says that God doesn't share his glory with anyone. So I can understand why Joseph to say, oh, there's three gods, because it seems difficult. But for Jesus to be at the right hand of the Father, the right hand always means authority. It means he has authority. Well, if God is invisible, then he can't stand next to the right hand. I don't think he's going to stand for all eternity. It doesn't mean he can't sit down. doesn't mean he can't walk around. It's saying that he has all authority. So I think there are... But Jesus, yeah. but Jesus when he was alive, I mean, he, he said along the lines of, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is that of my father that honoreth me. Whom say ye is that he is your God. So it seems like there's times that Jesus that when people are worshiping him, he's saying, no, worship my father. No? Well, they're not, that doesn't say that they're worshiping him. He's saying, look, the father and I are one. If you've seen me do something, you've seen the father do it. We see him pray to his father. I I do nothing of myself, but that the father hath taught me. So he's, I mean, it's like, I mean, it's a very clear delineation to me. I mean, that I don't do anything, but the father hath taught me. So it's not like, you know, it's not like they grew up on on the same level. The father is teaching his son. Like that that is like undeniably two separate beings without a doubt. Like I don't I don't understand how the same being can teach himself. You know what I mean? It doesn't it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me or the scriptures when I read that. And I I I understand the the reservations you have with the um Yahweh, Jehovah, and all that, but the scriptures seem to much more plainly paint that God is the Father, and he's teaching his son, and the son is doing the will of his father, 
And that seems like a very straightforward, easy thing to understand. And if we try to take it beyond that, it feels a lot more like, you know, it's like the the priests that can can read Latin and the Bible's only in Latin. And so I have to just trust the priests for what they say because they can interpret the scriptures in a way that I don't know. So I have to trust I have to trust this person in clergy to to read to me the scriptures and teach me what they say rather than being able to plainly read what they say on the pages, which is my father is teaching me and I'm doing the will of my father. And all of us, all of us people, we, we understand that relationship. We understand that language and that's the way that God is teaching us. So why, why push it beyond that? Well, it's, it's really not as complicated as I think maybe you're making it sound. This isn't something that people need clergy to teach them. This is something that we see the early church fathers, and we can go back to John who had disciples. We can go back to um, one of his disciples, and he writes on the Trinity. So these are people who um, are just one removed from Jesus, and they're simple fishermen. They're not highly educated, and they understood this. The Jews in the Old Testament— There's no evidence that they understood the Trinity— the people that walked with Jesus, there's no evidence that they understood the Trinity like that, like we interpret it today. Absolutely there is. We have early church fathers within uh, about 60 to 65 years saying that Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Heavenly Father is God, but there is only one God. Right? Uh, uh, I'll send you a bunch of stuff on this, but I have an entire thing on the teaching of the Trinity from early church fathers. In fact, yeah, one of my... Saying, and, and saying those things wouldn't contradict the, my view of God. Like, I believe that Jesus is part of the Godhead. So, Jesus, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Father, are all part of the Godhead. And so the term God can apply. And even to, I mean, the Bible speaks of other gods favorably with a lowercase g. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of... It does? You don't think so? No. I think it talks about that there are other gods in a lowercase g that it's not condemning. It's just saying that there are them. Well, it depends on how you understand that. Um, sometimes demons are called an Elohim in the Old Testament. Sometimes angels are called an Elohim. This term Elohim that often gets translated lowercase g-o-d usually just means it's a place of reference, right? It means they live in the spiritual world. So when Jesus is defending his divinity against the Pharisees and he quotes Psalms 82, because uh, he's like, hey, look, there's many gods. Why are you upset? It's because he's claiming to be a supernatural being. And then right after that, he says, I and the Father are one, which means he's not just claiming to be another Elohim like an angel or something like that. He says, I'm actually claiming to have equal authority and ownership with God himself. And that's when they pick up rocks because they say, you, a man, make yourself out to be Yahweh. You're trying to say that you are the most high. And for you, Jesus isn't trying to say that. He's not trying to say that he's the most high, right? Not the most high. Um, 
the son of God. So they are, they are one in purpose. Like I've said before, I feel like I'm saying it over and over Which again. Which isn't in, one in scripture in either, way. right? You know, I know the Trinity, that word might not be in there, but in all these verses, that word purpose, it's not until Joseph Smith comes around. And then we get all these new teachings. Like, so would you say that Jesus is a created being? Um, is Jesus a created being? Um, well, yeah, God. I mean, God the Father. So the Father literally means that He's the Father of our spirits, and Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He, his Father created Him. So yeah, God, God the Father created Jesus Christ. So. In, in LDS theology, I guess that's an important clarification to make as well, is that before coming to earth, every person that you've ever met and every person that's ever lived and many others were created in spirit by God the Father. And all of us chose to become like him. We wanted to learn and to grow and to understand all the things that God knew, knows. Um, and so God developed a plan, and that plan would be that we would come to earth, that we would uh, receive a body like he had, a physical body. Um, but part of the way to to really learn and to grow and to understand everything that, that he knows um, was that we would have to experience pain and sorrow and death and temptation and um, sickness and in order to really know joy and happiness and love and laughter and all those other uh, the opposite sides we we had to know the opposites and so part of that plan would be that um, we would make mistakes and if we made a mistake we wouldn't be able to return to live with God. Um, and that's obviously not something that we would like, but God put forth as part of the plan a Savior, uh, his firstborn son, spiritual son, and the Savior's name was Jesus Christ. And he said that he would, he would go down to earth and, and be the Savior of mankind, and all the glory would go to God, the Father. And, and God said that he would send Jesus Christ, and that's and essentially that's how we are able to return to live with God, even though we now live in a fallen world and have sin, is Jesus is able to pay for our sins and um, atone for them, allowing us to be made whole and allowing us to come home to God. Who who was the second born? I don't know that. I don't know that we know who the second born was. Doesn't LDS theology teach that Satan was a second born? Um, no, it they says that to... he was the, he was a, a son of the morning. So the I don't think we know the exact number, but that he was, you know, an an elder, an older child, essentially. And he had a plan too, but God rejected his plan and took Jesus's. Um, I don't, I don't interpret it that way, and I don't think the church interprets it that way. I think that that is 
some people do interpret it that way, but rather than rather than um, Satan having a plan, or rather than like Satan presenting his own plan, it was it was more an act of rebellion, meaning Satan did present his own plan, but because God is all knowing and all um, benevolent, and he you know he knows the beginning from the end, presenting a different plan to God is was rebellion. And so Satan presented a plan that was essentially that people would be able to come to earth to gain a body, um, but that we wouldn't have choice. We would all be forced uh, to do good. And that would mean a hundred percent of all the spirits would return to live with God. Um, And that created what we call the war in heaven, where a third of the host of heaven. So a third of God's children uh, rebelled and joined essentially Satan's army, more or less. But the two-thirds of the spirits, all the people that you see on earth and ever will see and ever have seen, all chose to follow God's plan and chose um, knowing that they might not make it back. But they knew that it was the only way to, to gain the knowledge that God had. And so the spirits that followed Satan were cast out of heaven and they were to never receive a body. And those are the spirits that essentially tempt us um, to do bad things today from the other side. So Jesus and Satan are brothers, though. Am I correct on understanding LDS teaching on that? Yeah, and that's that's what a lot of people boil it down to. But it's more accurate to say that we are all brothers and sisters. So yeah. every spirit, every person, every spirit being, you know, that was created by the Father, uh, God is our Father, literal Father of our spirits. Um, we are all brothers and sisters because of that. And so, yes, Jesus Christ um, and Satan are obviously the extremes of that family um but they their god is still um the father we have we have some difficulties with that that would be an obvious place where you strive far away from what scripture says because we know that colossians 1 says that jesus is the image of the invisible god and by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, not for Heavenly Father, for him. And he is before all things. He's before everything. And in him, all things hold together. So this idea that Jesus is a created being and that Satan is his brother when Scripture, I mean, we could go to John 1, 1, all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made, that there's these spirit brothers made by Heavenly Father, and I'm assuming that requires a Heavenly Mother, that um, when Scripture clearly says, whether visible or invisible, it's all made by Jesus, and it was all made for Jesus. And that can be done because Jesus is God. Father, Son, Spirit are all one being that is best understood and communicated to us in three persons. Now, that is might be confusing to see 
Jesus well, pray to his Father, but that's not a problem for Trinitarians. We totally understand how that works. But I think your problem is much larger than just trying to understand why Jesus is praying to the Father, always while he's in the flesh. So all these areas where it's like, well, Jesus seems to be listening to the will of his Father. Absolutely. He's doing what he was sent here to do. Now, he's tempted like you and I, but he doesn't sin because he is a perfect manifestation. He is the image, literally like the exact Xerox copy of God the Father, except he's in flesh. There's, there's some other things that come along with this idea about, you know, you're saying that God is our literal Father. I mean, I believe he created all of us, so we can call him Father, but the way the LDS Church takes that goes to places that are really uncomfortable. And even a lot of LDS don't know things like this, but it's obviously taught that God, because you believe God is not spirit, but that he is flesh and blood, came to earth and had actual physical relationship with Mary. Um, I've, I mean, I've, I've heard that, but I... I don't know how far along I could go with that. It does, it's, I'm not saying that like that that's false, but I, I don't have a, a spiritual confirmation that it's true either. I've, I've heard that that's what I think it was Brigham Young taught. Um, but I, I Kimball taught it. Joseph say. Fielding Smith taught it. Bruce R. McConkie taught it. Um, Bruce, uh, in the book Mormon doctrine, which I know is, quote-unquote, not official doctrine, even though it's called Mormon doctrine. I understand that he wrote it on his own. But he says, Our Lord is the only Son of the Father in the flesh. Each of the words is to be understood literally. One means only, begotten means begotten, and Son means Son. Christ was gotten by an immortal Father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. There's no need to spiritualize the plain meaning of that. Orson Pratt in The Seer says that the Virgin Mary must have been, for the time being, the lawful wife of God the Father, inasmuch as God was the first husband to her, and then God gives her as a wife to Joseph. So there's this idea that there's a heavenly mother in order to create the spirit babies in the pre-existence, and then there's also God coming... And there's, and there's no... There's no indication on how that happens, whether, you know, there's not like, I don't know, I think the, the common interpretation from people antagonistic towards the church is that God is just endlessly having sex with a uh, heavenly mother, but that's uh, well, trivializing my, my what thing is... I think we believe, because we don't, I've never heard that taught, and I've never seen it, and, and even like you said, the, the things that you're, you're quoting, yes, I don't doubt that. I know that there are different prophets and different people that taught that way. I'm just saying that I haven't personally received that confirmation, and which doesn't mean that others haven't. It doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means that I haven't personally. But I did want to do one clarification back to Colossians. This is like two topics ago. Sure. Um, but you said, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Um, so when you're talking about heaven, there's there's generally two different terms, and, and I, I could be wrong in this, but 
there's what we think of as the heavens, which is generally like in the sky. And then there's heaven, which is living with God. And so I, I think there is a delineation there. Um, but then there's, and it, he is before all things and by him, all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that all things might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And that having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things on earth or things in heaven. And so, again, my interpretation of that is that God was happy that Jesus Christ um, created those things. And that in him all fullness dwell. And so it's the Bible still clarifies that the father was there and is happy about it. You know, it, it says it's not saying the fullness of deity dwelled within Jesus. So how does the fullness of the heavenly sorry, father? Are you, are you reading verse 19? Uh, I'm just repeating back what you said. Well, I'm just saying, in the King James Version, it says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And so if yours says deity, then, you know, that's, me, uh, it, that's that could be a reason why there's often different interpretations and different understandings of scriptures because there's, you know, mine says Father, yours says deity. And while um, translators who, who believe in the Trinity could put that in there and, and say that it doesn't conflict. Um, yeah. If the actual well, scripture said father, then to me, that for in him, conflict. all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You know, you were talking about, well, the, the Trinity, you need somebody to explain it to you and, no Greek and Hebrew or, or kind of the complication idea that's complicated. And here, what seems to be the plain reading, and I don't want to veer away from it too far is that scripture says in Colossians and in John one, that all things were made through Jesus by Jesus for Jesus. And then we hear somebody come along much, much later by the name of Joseph Smith, who says, oh, no, he didn't create all things. I mean, he's got brothers that's, that's and stuff. That's not what he said, though. That's not what he said, though. I mean, we, we affirm that Jesus Christ created this earth. But not all things. All the things that are in the earth, all things in heaven and beneath and below. Did Jesus Christ create the rest of the universe? Yeah, God. I don't think so. God created in every. God created everything. Well, that's God yeah. the Father, right? Not. I mean, because because you interpret well, here, you, you Jesus just... Christ and the Father being as one in the Trinity, it makes it difficult to 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 separate them. But if Jesus Christ was under the direction of the Father to create this earth where we live, the heavens, the earth, the heavens meaning like the clouds and everything that's around the earth. Um, that's different than creating, than having Jesus create the entire universe. Well, if he just stopped there, but it's as though the writer wants to keep people from being confused because he doesn't just stop in heaven and earth. And we can say, well, heaven means the sky. He's not talking about the supernatural world. 
he lets us know both visible and invisible. Now, they're not talking yeah. about atoms that we can't see, right? They're not talking about DNA strands they don't know about. They're talking about the invisible spiritual realm. And that's why he goes right on to say whether thrones or dominions, because dominions is always applied to supernatural forces, right? Thrones are what kings have. Dominions are what demons have or good angels have. Um, the angel said outside of the Garden of Eden, they have dominion over that territory. Nobody gets in. Rulers, meaning human rulers or authorities. Scripture talks about spiritual authorities, that Satan is the prince of this world. He has some spiritual authority here. And then yeah. he says again, all things were created through him and for him. So we have these categories that Scripture creates. There's things that are made and things that are not made. Jesus is not made. The the idea that God came down. I just in, want to give you a okay. a, a ten minute ten minute uh, warning, just so you know. All but right. Yeah, um, oh, okay. I thought you were about to uh, give me a ten minute uh, warning for talking like that. Ten <laughs> <laughs> minute warning yeah. for talking. No, uh, um, no. I was just my my son gets out of school. I got you. Like, okay. Minutes, so so I got to leave Actually, uh, I guess we could still talk. I'm on my phone, but well, we'll wrap it up for sound quality reasons. Uh, it's much better to talk <laughs> this way. So the idea but, of but Jesus, continue, continue. the idea of Jesus being born of a virgin, is something that comes as one of the promises of the Old Testament about how you're going to recognize Messiah. Isaiah seven fourteen, and it talks about, "Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son." Oh, did I lose you? Somebody's calling me on Skype. Who would be calling me on Skype? Oh. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, so, yes. So, in the Old Testament, one of the promises about the Messiah, like, it's going to be so unique. You want to know how it's going to happen? You want to know how you can be certain that this person is who they say they are? She's going to be born of a virgin. And now, we see LDS prophets teach Oh, well, she wasn't actually, she was a virgin when she met Heavenly Father, but Heavenly Father is flesh and blood, and he had physical relationships, took Mary as his wife. So Jesus was not born of a virgin. It was a virgin just when they met. And I know that sounds kind of cruel and crash, and I don't mean to be grotesque about it, but this seems like almost like spiritual adultery. And if anybody would come and teach something like that, which so obviously contradicts Isaiah 7.14. I would say, well, that person is a false teacher. Now, I know you say this might not be official doctrine, but we have prophets. Um, we have it in the Journal of Discourses. We have uh, all the way back, I mean, fairly recently, within the last 30 years, the Mormon Church has been teaching this, and their prophets, who are the chosen men of God, aren't rebuking this teaching, but kind of being like, yeah, that's kind of what we believe. You know, that's pretty much it. It makes me go, A, if there can be wrong all the time, why do I need this prophet? The LDS keep telling me we need to have our living prophet, but the living prophets say some crazy heretical stuff. And so if Scripture says she's going to be a virgin, and then Mormon teaching is that she wasn't, but God came down and slept with her and then gave her to Joseph instead of raising the child himself, right? Um, do you see where the the friction is in that? No, of course. I mean, I obviously do. Otherwise, I wouldn't have my reservations about that teaching, right? 
And so that, that, that teaching was never submitted for church doctrine or canonization, meaning like it's never been officially taught. And I understand, I understand your, your hesitation or your, your, your reservations of, well, why do I need, why do I need this church leader if, if something he's teaching might not be right or something like that? And I understand that too. Um, my interpretation of that is even with people in your congregation, they should be continually talking to God to see if what Caleb has just said is true and right. And if, if it is, then God should, should tell you either he'll tell you keep studying for yourself or he'll tell you, yes, it is through the spirit. And it's, since we only have a few it's, minutes, let me. I, I hear what you're saying. I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just wrap up that point. Is that yes, that has been said by some church leaders in the past. No, it is not official church doctrine. Okay. But continue. Fair enough. So you say you know they should be in conversation with God about that to figure out whether or not that's true. Well, we can look at scripture and go, that's false. Like we don't need to sure. say, well, that you know, I'm not. I have reservations. I can say that's false, right? Um, if somebody comes along and says. Uh, God is, you know, Scientology is true, right? I can look at my Bible and I go, well, that's false. This is what God has already said. If somebody says, you know, I know lots of Christian students and many of them have physical relationships with their boyfriend or girlfriend and they say, well, we, we prayed about it and we felt like God said we were married in our heart. Well, I can take them to God's word because John seventeen seventeen, sanctify them through thy truth. Well, what is truth? Thy word is truth. So we are seeing that we're warned in Scripture. We know that uh, they said that there will be other Jesuses come, right? There's going to be other people saying they speak on behalf of Jesus. They don't, right? We are given a test for prophets. We're given a test for elders. We're given a test so we can protect ourselves from false teachings. We see very early on that Paul's surprised at how quickly people turn away from the gospel that was revealed once and for all to all the saints. That's in Jude 3, that like the gospel's been delivered once and for all. There's no restoration if it's been delivered once and for all, right? And so when you say these things, like, yeah, it's difficult, so we go to God. Well, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. We go to God through prayer, but I don't need to pray about whether or not God is actually the spaghetti monster, or if a Muslim comes, and a Muslim feels very strongly about his faith, and he says, Jesus did not die on the cross, and he's just a prophet. I don't have to pray about whether or not that is true. If, but could you? Sh sure, but why would I want to pray about what God has already declared? Like, if he's made it super clear. Why, well, for me, why? For me I, I, I understand that, because you shouldn't necessarily have to pray over every little thing. But... If someone does come to you with some sort of conflicting information and you interpret the Bible one way, in, in my opinion, you know, when, you know, even after this podcast, like I'm going to go to God and ask God things and, and talk to him and, and, and feel it out and, and see what he says. And so I, I never think like I and I'm not accusing you of doing this, but no. I don't think there's you. I don't think you can pray too much. You know, like I think. I think you can pray and you can ask God about 
a multitude of things. Oftentimes his answer will be yes. Oftentimes it'll be no. Oftentimes it'll be ask me later. It'll be go do more research yourself. You know, he, he doesn't always just give us everything. And, and yes, I understand that that's why we have the scriptures is to help us, to, to guide us and to, to lead us. Um, but it is also possible that, that we misinterpret things. It's impossible that others mislead us. And I think that, um, I think that you would agree with that. And in, in, in my mind, the ultimate authority isn't in the Bible or the Book of Mormon or the Doctrine and Covenants or in living prophets or in old prophets. The ultimate authority on God's word and, and, and who God is, is God himself. And so how do you know I you're hearing that, from God? If if you um, say, well, it's, my, it's how I and I let me I know we got to wrap this up. So I'm going to try to make it quick. Um, no. So it's it's this feeling that I get the burning in the bosom. And if you've ever, those listening, if you've ever interacted with an LDS or a a missionary, they will talk about, they receive this testimony. Scripture says, test the spirits. How do you test the spirit to know if they're from God? Well, thy word is truth. The Bereans in Acts 17, when they received new information from Paul, they loved what they heard, but then it says that they went to the scriptures every day to see if these teachings were true. And it says they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians. That it's a noble-minded thing. Now, when I open up the Word, what it's going to do is not only am I going to read the words, but it's going to motivate me to pray about what I'm reading. It's The Bible isn't so difficult to understand that it, when I read that there is no other God, neither before or after me formed. And somebody comes along and says, hey... God used to be a guy just like you on a different planet, and then you can become God. He's not everlasting from everlasting, right? If somebody says that, I don't go, you know, let me really pray about that. What I want, what it would cause me to do is pray for that person because they're teaching things that are just blatant lies about who God has revealed himself to be. Yeah, and I, and I, and I don't think you intentionally misrepresent I try not to. So if I do, my, my correct. Yeah, yeah. I really don't want and, to. Um, because I don't think that I'm going to become God someday. I do think that I can become like God, which is a, 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 a very different thing in my opinion. Like even if it's – and let's come back to the, the secular world, back to Earth, which is my father. So my father, Brian Baird. Um, rest in peace, but he wanted to teach me things. He wanted me to grow. He wanted me to learn. And so by teaching me and raising me, I don't physically become him, uh, but I can become like him. And, and then coming back to God the Father, it's the whole purpose for us to be here on earth is to learn and to grow and to become like him to learn the things that he knows to basically overcome ourselves and turn ourselves into his image to to allow his image to reflect in us to allow us to when people when people see us when people hear us when people you know interact with us they don't see us they they feel god coming through because that's the kind of life that we should live. We should live a life that glorifies God and, and brings 
reverence to him. And so I understand the, the hesitation for the, the teaching to become like God, but if God is our father and he wants to teach us and he, and he loves us and he has everything, surely he wants to teach us about those things and help us to, to attain that. He too. wants and to so, bring us into relationship with himself. He created us for us to enjoy him. That doesn't mean that we become little gods in that sense. The LDS teaching is that you could govern eventually your own planet because it, depending on how you understand it sometimes, but we know the second prophet, uh, Brigham Young, taught there was a god before Heavenly Father, and then that god had a god, and then that god had a god, and you have this infinite reverse of gods. So eventually you'll have a planet and you'll send your own Jesus to be the savior. I, 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 don't, I don't I don't I don't I don't interpret it that way. I I think that Jesus wasn't is the only savior to ever be and that God the Father that I worship is the only father you know that ever will be. So uh if you Do were an L- yeah, if you were an LDS during the days of Brigham Young, you probably would have been excommunicated. <laughs> probably. Yeah. But I know you got to go. Because, uh, is is there okay. any last thing that you want to say? I I think people get a good sense of where we come from. I I've heard a lot of well, this is how I feel about it. This is my interpretation of it. And what I wanted to do the most of it was just read scripture. Is I just yeah. wanted to show here's what the Bible says. If you have, if there's a part that confuses you, um, namely it seems a trinity, and because of that, these other gods get created. And well, this one's not really the creator of just the earth, but he's a created being, and we really come into clash with much of what Scripture says. And I would go so far as to say, Muslims have a different Jesus, and it's a Jesus that can't save them. Jehovah's Witnesses they think Jesus is Michael the Archangel. Well, that Jesus can't save them because he's not the real Jesus. It's so far off that you're describing somebody else. And a Jesus that is not God, worthy of worship and praise, but is a lowercase God just trying to pass the buck on to his Father. I would say that is a different Jesus that we were warned about. I think Joseph Smith received him from a vision of an angel of light, as he said. Scripture tells us that even Satan can appear as an angel of light and offer a different gospel. From the bottom of my heart, I love you, man, but I, 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 I am as solid on the fact as I am that I exist, that Mormonism teaches a false gospel, and that Joseph Smith was the um, Scientology L. Ron Hubbard of his day. And as long as people remain in that dedicated to the teachings of Joseph Smith, I don't think that Jesus can save. Yeah. And my last note will be that Jesus can have a capital G as well. He does have a capital G as well. His father is a being who um, created him and created all of us. Uh, The spirit is real. God, God has allowed for the Holy Ghost to, to be the great teacher of all time. And even those who have never seen or read or touched the Bible can still feel the influence and effect of the Holy Ghost in their lives. 
And the more they adhere to what the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, is teaching them, the more light they will receive from God. And so, um, again, there, there, there were various scriptures that, that you read that your, your, your scripture, your version said God, mine said Father. Um, I think that that's where some of the, mm, some of the contentions come through. But at the end of the day, um, I'm going to read a verse of scripture from the Book of Mormon that basically says um, how anyone can um, find out for themselves if the Book of Mormon is true. Um, Behold, I would exhort you that when you should read these things, talking about the Book of Mormon, but you can apply this promise to anything in life, really. Um, If it be wisdom of God that you should read them, that you would remember how merciful the Lord hath been unto the children of men from the creation of Adam, even down until the time you receive these things, and ponder it in your hearts. And when you shall receive these things, I would exhort you, so he's strongly encouraging you, that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if you shall ask with a sincere heart, with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it unto you by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, you may know the truth of all things. So essentially it's saying that if you ask God, if you uh, have a sincere heart, that you, you're truly wanting to know the answers that you have, that the questions that you have, you have real intent, meaning that you truly intend to act upon whatever answer it is that you receive from God, and you have faith in Christ, faith in Jesus Christ, that, that he is your Savior, and that... Um, and that he's made it possible to return to live with God, that God will manifest the truth of whatever your question is to you. And so I think if, if LDS theology taught me nothing else in the entire world, I think that, um, that teaching right there, that you can receive answers from God directly on a one-on-one basis, um, is the most incredible experience um, that I've ever, that I could ever hope to to give to someone else or to show someone else um, because he will direct your your life in, in ways you you can't imagine and, and he'll direct you to to help others in ways that that you can't perceive so I uh, Skyler uh, I love you I love you too man I appreciate we'll that soon you know the reason that I even do this is because I did read the Book of Mormon and I prayed about it and God told me it was false and so now we have these conflicting spirits. Uh, appreciate your time, and I look forward to talking with you again in the future. I, I appreciate you being willing to have tough conversations, and God bless you, brother, and I hope you have a great day. God bless you, buddy. Talk Later, soon. buddy. Uh-huh, bye.